1: So we had Steve Palazzolo on earlier, and we referenced the next clip we're going to play from Brian Baldinger on yesterday's show. And I do think there are two distinct camps on the Miles Garrett conversation. I think there are people who look at Miles and say, that's one of the five best edge rushers in the NFL and a future Hall of Famer and one of the most dominant players in the NFL and and maybe one of the most athletic freaks we've ever seen in the NFL. And then there I think there are people who not necessarily that disagree with that, but who look at Miles and see what he isn't yet or what they don't think he is yet. And here's Baldy from yesterday's show cuz you you'll figure out which camp Baldy's in real quick.
2: The one thing Jim, I think, has a real ability to do, he's a very smart guy, but I think what Miles needs is ownership of the defense. Like, this is your defense. This is why you're the captain. This is what we need to get out of your talent. You know, Brian Dable, you know, challenged Dexter Lawrence this year. Wake Martindale challenged him. They said, if you're not in the Pro Bowl... It's our fault. And Dexter Lawrence was the best defensive player in football in Super Wild Card Weekend. I just feel like there's a challenge to Miles. Okay, numbers, you get a lot of attention. Let's do some more. Let's do more than that. And look, you know, any kind of better production in the middle of your defense is gonna make Miles better. So, you know, I think that he needs some help around him as well.
1: I agree mostly with the last part of what he had to say, having help around him. But it's really, really tough to see a guy. Who had sixteen sacks in sixteen games this year, who had twenty-six quarterback hits, eighteen TFLs, who had, I want to say it was thirty-seven solo tackles, who is a uh all pro uh, what is it? The uh, the all he's an, he's all pro and he's a pro bowler. So he makes both He's lists. not a hell no. He's definitely not a hell no. It's really tough for me to look at him and say, Oh, well, you need more from that guy. That it just I don't I and and I've I, had I, I don't know that you need
3: more in terms of the stat sheet. Mm-hmm. I think you need more in other areas. I think you need more in certain situations when it's not a play that it's gonna be a splash play for Miles. I think you need more from him from a leadership standpoint. See, okay, that
1: um I feel like Miles told it himself a lot the last two years that he's a little immature. Both with you his think? actions, with, with the... Yeah, I the, mean, with the accident, with... Well, and, I mean, let's be honest with you. I mean... When you need to get benched uh, for even I mean, a series late in the season, th- th- that's th- telling. Th- there's a lot of things. I mean, the guy wore a Halloween costume after a loss. Well, that to me is kind of... Immature? I, I, I get it. Kind well, of immature? No, I just... I To me, it just doesn't matter as much. Like, no, for instance... it doesn't
3: matter, but I'm just... It just speaks to what I think we're trying to, to, to point out here, is mm-hmm. that he, he does need to... Kind of become that veteran player. I I think he's, how old is Miles? 27 years old? I think he's 26, gonna be 27. Okay.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the thing. You need him to act like a 30 year old vet. Yeah. I think the thing that frustrates me is Miles really likes to be the guy that says things. And I don't begrudge him. Like when he, he, it mattered when he came out and said, Perry on Winfrey needs to learn how to be a veteran or needs to, needs to be a professional. Did did they take it down? They did. Was it up, Keith? Uh, I took it down. Damn it. You took it down? Oh, okay. They took it down. Okay. Oh, Hugh Jackson took it down? <laughs> uh, Hugh Jackson was here, baby. <laughs> hey, Hugh Jackson's here, baby. But, yeah, Miles loves to be the guy that talks, but he doesn't want to be the guy that's talked about. And you don't get to have it both ways. So I do think, but like, even then, like, okay, so he's a little mature. Then that's on the Browns for putting the C on his chest. Quite frankly.
3: Oh, I've said that before. I mean, I people think the C doesn't matter, and, and I don't know that it really does. First off, like, did the players vote on the C? Is it the coaches that put the C on the chest? It's different everywhere, and it's not always. It's not that consistent. I mean, yes. I feel like, um, you know, like, for example, like Russell Wilson just goes to the Broncos. All of a sudden, he's a C, mm-hmm. you know?
1: Yeah. yeah that, There's certain oh, guys well, that get the C. That's that comes with two hundred million dollars oh, yeah. and giving up two first rounders for a guy. Oh, is and,
3: it, does Deshaun have a C? I don't I, think he does.
1: Does he? I don't think he did. Well, because he was only on on the field for. No, I know. I don't know if you can give him a but, C right away. So I guess my the thing that frustrated me is when 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 Baldy was talking about him. You know, he was like, I think that's what stops him from being in the same conversation with T.J. Watt and with Nick Bosa and all those guys. And I I'm in the camp with Steve Palazzolo. Miles is in that camp. If you talk to people outside of Cleveland, more people think Miles Garrett's elite than I think people inside Cleveland do. There has been this weird disconnect. There are people who, and and it's kind of an extension of like the LeBron thing. There are people in town who, Miles could have 20 sacks next year. And there were people who say, well, but did they matter? Did this happen? Is he really that good? Like, I think people are conflating a bad defense which is on the defensive coordinator which is on the the GM. I think people are conflating a bad defense with the meaning that Miles Garrett isn't very isn't as good as the number state. And I would say I think you're wrong. I think he's every bit as good. And I think sometimes we hold that prodigious athleticism and ridiculous specimen. Right. I think sometimes people hold that against Miles. And I think it's unfair. I think it's fair to say, man, we just and a little bit more maturity. Right? I think that's totally fair because we've seen enough. There's documented talking out of both sides of your mouth. But in terms of play, the stats are every bit as good as TJ Watt and Nick Bosa. And yet in town, like I know there's a lot of Miles fans in town. I'm not saying that. But I'm surprised at the amount of detractors that say that agree with Brian Baldinger, well, you need more out of Miles Garrett on the field.
3: You know what I do think the Browns need I think they need a veteran on that defensive line. Who's about thirty years old? Mm-hmm. Who's been an all pro? Yeah, something like that. Like somebody that's a little bit older than Miles, who's kind of been there, done that. I don't know that he's had anybody on that defense. Uh,
1: Olivier Vernon, I think uh, maybe Sheldon Richardson, maybe. Yeah, I, and I, I don't know the the age of those guys. No, I know it. that.
3: I'm just thinking about like just the personalities of those guys. I, I don't know. I mean, it just it seems like he needs a little help and maybe needs help in terms of production mm-hmm. and then maybe a little help in terms of a veteran presence.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think, so I don't think the leadership stuff, I, I I wonder if that's really much of miles fault anyways. I think, I think the Browns exposed so much of the flaws of tanking in the NFL. Tanking doesn't just impact that season because, because guys carry over from one locker room to another and, The real impact of tanking is you strip out all of the veterans on your roster because they might help you be good enough to not get the number one pick. Well, the problem is those young guys you just drafted, they need someone to look to and say, oh, that's how I do this, right? CeCe Sabathia talks all the time about the impact of Ellis Burks having Ellis in the locker room or having Jim Tomey in the locker room, right? Um, You know, Joe Thomas would talk about being in a locker room with like Willie McGinnis or... Uh, I think it was Hank Fraley was the center. Like, that matters. And I think I still think a lot of the stuff over the last two years that have been disappointing have been residuals of the young guys that you have, Denzel and and Miles and all these guys. The first year or two in the NFL, they didn't have somebody to look to and say, that's how you do it. And if they did, it wasn't somebody of consequence, right? Like, walk into a a locker room with Cam Jordan, David Onyemata, and um, I'm trying to think who the other big defensive tackle they had and was. You got a lot of names in that brain of yours. Malcolm Brown. Walk into a locker room with three real veterans who've done things in the NFL. You have no choice but to look and go. Oh, I got to do that. I so so to me, it's not just on Miles. Is the other way to put this? Like, yeah, don't wreck your car. Don't risk your life. Don't talk out about both sides of your mouth. But, like, I don't think Miles needs the other. I think the Browns' locker room, I think really good locker rooms do have is specifically on an area of importance like the defensive line. I think you have three or four veterans you can point to and that guys like Alex Wright and Isaiah Thomas mm-hmm. and Tommy Togi and Jordan Elliott can go, oh, this is how we do it. And I think the Browns had it in 2020, and I don't think they have it now. All right. I don't disagree. 216 578 Do the Browns really need more from Miles Garrett on the field. Jason, welcome to the show, bud. What you got for us? Hello? Hello, Jason. Jason. Welcome to the show.
2: Hey, hey, guys. Hey, uh, thanks for taking the call. Yes, sir. Yeah, I just, you know, one of the things is is that, you know, as as I'm watching the games and you're texting your buddies back and forth, and no matter what game it is, whether it's basketball, football, anything, you know, you always get to that point where you're like, man, I need a play. We need so-and-so to make a play. And I don't know how many times I've I've texted that to, or gotten a text, and it's about Miles Garrett. Hey, we need we need this on third down, and it's just empty. There's it, it just doesn't happen. It's it, it's like when the play is made, it, it's not impactful to the game. So, can, real him. quick,
1: Jason, real quick, because I want to I, I want to challenge you on that. I saw yeah. multiple games this year where either late in games or across an entire game, Miles Garrett dominated games. You look at that Bengals game on Monday Night Football. You look at that Bucks game. If Miles Garrett doesn't go off in that fourth quarter, you don't win that game. That's how impactful no, he, he the plays that, that he made. Over. And so it's, yeah. it's so. So to me, I understand, but like. I, I feel like one of the big knocks on is, well, but he never makes plays when they count. Well, but I just came up with two games off the top of my head without even thinking about it, without even watching back the games that that he did that. So is it that he doesn't do it every game? Because TJ Watt doesn't do it every game, right? Um uh, Cam Hayward doesn't do it but but on that defense, you got TJ Watt, you got Cam Hayward, you got uh Alex Highsmith. On this defense, yeah. if you're gonna make the the big play you just talked about, it's Miles Garrett or Bust. Yeah, yeah. I mean,
2: fair point with the with the with the Cincinnati game, and you know, it's not saying that. It, I guess I should have said it, it never happens, but it just seems like when you're when you have that all or when you have that all pro and, and you and you need it. I don't know. It just seems like I was always disappointed, um, you know, when when it really mattered or when you know when it was time to um, you know put a game away or or something that really. Change the whole the whole thing. Um it just, I guess it's it's what I feel. <laughs>
1: all right, Jason. We appreciate you, buddy. Yeah. All right. Thanks. You're entitled to disagree with me. That's all right, buddy. I went at him a little hard, but mostly because and it's not because it's not about Jason. It's about like there were multiple times where like at the beginning of the season. Yeah. Like early in the season after like the Falcons game. Well, when does Miles ever take game? when does he ever take over games? And then in the next like eight games, there were three games. And, then the, and, and I'm not speaking to Jason here because, again, this is where we get into Twitter as is a, is a a fun-sucking vacuum that, that sucks the soul out of of being a, a fan. But then all of a sudden at the end of the season, all of the Miles haters have come out of the woodwork. I'm not saying that's what Jason is, just to be clear. But people who just think he's not good enough come out of the woodwork. Oh, well, what games have he taken over? And it's a cycle. It's yeah, this weird you can, cycle. You can
3: point to games where he—I he, mean, the, the Tampa game—he won single-handedly.
1: Yeah, and I—and the reason why it's important is you notice when T.J. Watt takes over games because look at the film. Cam Cam Hayward's making plays that free up T.J. Watt. Um, Al- Alonzo Highsmith, Alonzo Highsmith, Alex Highsmith is making plays that are opening things up for T.J. Watt. Minka Fitzpatrick. There are four legitimate Hall of Fame level. I shouldn't say Hall of Fame with Alex Highsmith. He's kind of coming into his own. But three of those guys are legitimate Hall of Fame type players already on one defense. I think Denzel could get there. Denzel's got a great, but like it's Denzel and it's Miles. Everybody else doesn't rise to that level. And that's not an excuse. It's just to say, Miles is great. Miles with very little help on the defense this year whether it's interior or, or Jadavian Clowney's bum-ass trying to only play third downs. I, I'm going I'm to see red if I talk about that jabroni. But, like, he had no help up front. And he had statistically a better season than everybody that people say he's not in the same class with.
3: Yeah, and, and it, it, it is funny to to not just defend him like you know you kind of are a little bit. Um, I mean, he was like the only thing on the defensive line you had to worry about. Mm-hmm. I mean teams did double team him and
1: triple team and triple team and double team, and team and with chip. a chip yeah yep uh let's go with mark mark, welcome to the show buddy what you got for us
4: what's up fellas? Mm, not a whole lot so i was, I, I agree with you to a hundred percent both of you guys what you're saying i I don't think it's Nick that like you guys are saying when you the guy was saying about Texan we need a big play, I think it's all on miles to always make. We need a big play. There's no other help since Miles been here besides last year when Jay Davion gave a few sacks here and there. Um, there's never He's never had uh, a linebacker like TJ. He's never had – Benzel only plays 10 games a year. <laughs> so he's never – he's always on Miles to make the big play. So I, I never get the people who can't accept greatness in Cleveland. It's weird, like, how we kind of, like, I don't know, it's, it's nothing all wrong with expecting greatness out of miles, but when he gives it, it's like, well, he should be giving even more. I, I, I really, is, it's hard to fathom at times.
1: Uh, Mark, we appreciate you, buddy. Well, th- So the question we're asking, you know, uh, Brian Baldinger was on the station yesterday and said, there's still things he wants to see more out of with miles. And to me, uh, Dusty and I are, are locked up on this. It's more, I just want to see a little bit more maturity out of miles, but on the field, I don't think without improving the pieces around him, I think it's insane to say you need more out of Miles. So do the Browns really need more out of Miles on the field? Darrell, what's up, buddy? What's up, D? How are you guys? Good, buddy. Happy Friday, right man. You, Happy Friday.
5: How you vibing? I'm um, going to be vibing at the uh, G League game here down at the Fieldhouse.
1: So what's what are the Veracruz Warriors looking Sound like? Not excited about that. <laughs> so I, I'm glad actually you you kind of you pointed that out. You you, you will be covering the game for uh, 92 through the fan today. But uh, JB Bickerstaff, I guess, spoke earlier yeah. today about the, the about the issue of rest with you know Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, and, and everybody out for for Golden State. What, what what sentiment did he have in response to the criticism of of resting players?
5: Well, I. I... I think he made a, a pretty fair argument, and that is just it, just to sum up that if you rest some of these superstars five or so games in a season and you're able to add multiple car- uh, years to the back ends of their careers, it's absolutely worth it for these teams. The, the, the days of the playing all 82 games being the badge of honor for the old school players – have kind of come and gone. And so um, you're seeing players play longer than um, previous generations of players. And that was the point that he tried to make. Now, the point that I would make is that I think that load management is uh, charm and soft. Uh, it can get off my lawn, and instead of me complaining about it, I will offer the solution, and that is the NBA needs to lengthen the, the schedule a little bit, put more room in the calendar, and eliminate the back-to-backs so that you don't have these situations where teams have to worry about load management, and the only time star players are missing time is if it's due to legitimate injury so that there's more rest built in To the actual season schedule. To me, that's the solution. But I certainly understood what JB uh, had to say about that. Because guess what? With the Cavaliers being on the rise, they're going to be one of those teams doing load management as well.
1: Well, wouldn't it also just be simpler if we knew a week in advance? Like, I mean, I, I mean, that still doesn't help the people who buy their tickets in October, but like,
5: right. I don't disagree with you. Like, uh, di-
1: I mean, the, there's no way the Warriors didn't have an inkling. They were going to sit those players. tonight. Well, I, I
5: yeah, the only thing I would say is I don't think they anticipated going to overtime last night. Uh, and that might have changed their calculus. Again, I, I'm not arguing with you, Nick. I, I totally get where you're coming from and I don't disagree. And like I said, I, I don't like the load management stuff. Uh, these guys have, uh, chartered planes. Uh, they get police escorts to and from the buildings. Uh, the meals are provided for them. So it's not like they got to run out in a, in a moment's notice to find something to eat in, in a city that they're traveling in. Like they, they, they have amenities that, uh, Michael Jordan and Charles Barkley and Oscar Robertson and and all these, you know, Bill Russell, all these great players that came before them, never had, right? It's much easier to play in the NBA today from uh, a a travel standpoint than it was uh, 20, 30, 40 years ago. But, uh, again, I just think the solution to this load management stuff has to be taken care of at the commissioner level, and that is where they get uh, together in a room and they eliminate back-to-back games on the schedule.
3: Daryl, um, it's interesting. You know, I, I've got a half season um, as a season ticket holder to the Cavs, and, and right. games get marked up, and like tomorrow night, my tickets are are about three times what they typically are for a, a normal game. And tonight's a—I a, a, don't actually have tickets tonight, but but tonight was a big ticket game, right? Like, can the league do something about that i mean like i feel bad like they make us renew our season tickets in january right and we don't know and who's gonna play or what's gonna happen yeah
5: i forget what uh, tiered pricing i think that it's, called, it's yeah Austin. tiered pricing exactly. is that what it is okay yeah. uh yeah i know the guardians do that i i know the i, I think the i'm pretty sure the browns do that yeah it, tomorrow uh, night are the most expensive tickets we've
3: got of the whole year
5: yeah and um and that and see to me that's where the ultimate problem comes in. Dustin is right when you're talking about load management uh being done for a premier priced game that's that's a problem a hundred percent I get it I understand it um and yeah i I think that in that regard, probably what they ought to do is at least you know refund the fans the difference of the premier pricing right so uh, you still bought the ticket right but instead of praying paying the extra premier money for that game they, they they give that back uh if you run into you know this type of situation at least that that would be my solution to that um but yeah it, it does stink for uh you know the fans that were coming tonight hoping to see clay thompson and steph curry and, and those guys
1: Daryl, uh, I, I, I know you heard Kevin Stefanski, Brown's head coach, on the, the, the morning show today with Ken and Anthony. And I just, I kind of want to start, uh, you know, kind of talking Browns here and just asking, like, what were the things that stood out most to you from Kevin on the morning show today?
5: Um, I, look, I, I think that what he had to say about his temperament uh, it, it, were, it made a lot of sense. Um, when he was talking about how he, he just doesn't, he, he doesn't have the luxury to lose his mind when, uh, you know, something doesn't go their way. Um, and, and, um, so I, I, I thought that that was good to give fans that level of insight and explanation as to why he projects such a calm demeanor. And he even admitted that, you know, throughout the week when he's out in the facility in Berea, as he put it, the Philly comes out in him at times when when certain things pop up. Uh, I thought that was good too. You know, um, just to kind of let people know he, he's not a robot; <laughs> he is human. Uh, things do bother him, but he's in the position where he has to control his emotions. And the reason he has to control his emotions is because if he doesn't, then he's going to make poor decisions uh, because of that. So that that I would say would be my top takeaway from that uh, conversation.
1: Daryl, looking to some of the news we got today. Bill Callahan, the Jets had interest in him. He signed a contract extension. He'll be here. Chad O'Shea apparently yeah. interviewed for the the Jets OC job. Um, do we expect? Do we expect potential, you know, uh, coaches to leave this staff on the offensive side of the ball? And, and what would that mean? Like, what, could we see? Could that maybe change Kevin Stefanski's plan as at play caller?
5: No, it's not going to change. his plan. Play caller. He's going to keep calling the plays.
1: Um, you know,
5: it, it would be a promotion for Chad O'Shea if they offered him the, the full offensive coordinator uh, job with the Jets. Obviously, uh, Stefanski would not stand in the way of that. Uh, look, I think keeping Bill Callahan, though, was huge. Uh, he is such a vital part of what they do as a team. Um, the offensive line he's had situations where they have had to mix and match guys up there due to injuries Um, and overall collectively yeah there's been some tough games but it's been I think the the most consistent position group on the entire team uh, in the three years that Kevin Stefanski's been uh, the head coach so keeping Callahan I just I just think that that's huge. Aside from uh, from uh, them hiring Jim Schwartz, that might be the most important off-season coaching staff decision the organization made. Um, there's going to be a lot of jobs uh, available here uh, with, you've got at least five coaching staffs that have yet to be assembled uh, with head coaching jobs that are still currently open. You've got coordinator jobs that are, uh, that have recently opened. Uh, around the league on top of that which made them getting Schwartz in here uh and signed and on board all that more critical so a good job done by the Browns there um so yeah I mean there's a chance guys could uh, you know leave the Browns to, to go elsewhere to work but um I, I it, don't expect a mass exodus I think is the the, the way to answer that question Nick
1: Daryl, Chris Antonetti was asked on Baskin and Phelps earlier this week about the uh, the Guardians' reputation of being difficult to, to to finish a deal off with because they have such a, a high price on their talent and they're very uh, consistent. And it got yeah. me into thinking about, how at least two of the organizations in this town are, are really well run. So if I if I made you choose, well, no, I I promise I, that was not intended as a shot at the the Browns. I it more meant That's as hard. a it meant as a compliment to to the Guardians and the Cavaliers. Who do you think of the three uh, professional sports team is actually the best run team in town?
5: I think it's the Guardians, and the reason I say the Guardians is be- just because of their financial limitations. And the fact that they have, since Terry Francona came on as manager, they have maintained a winning level of consistency and competitiveness uh, in a sport where if you aren't able to financially compete at times, uh, most organizations just bottom it out, blow it up, tank, whatever phrase you want to use. Right. And you suffer through those 110 loss baseball seasons. So, I give the nod to the Guardians because I think that they have the tougher path to navigate uh, to remain competitive.
1: Daryl, great stuff, man! Enjoy the game tonight, and uh, if they lose, uh, you're gonna have to walk home.
3: They're gonna cover ten and a half, Uh, Daryl.
5: I think so.
1: Daryl, great stuff, buddy. buddy! Have a great weekend. Have a good weekend, guys.
0: Enjoy, buddy.